<laughs> Welcome to Watch Out, where we dig through our DVD dungeon, where we scour the endless streaming landscape, all to help you find some kick-ass horror movies. Hello and welcome to Watch Out, the horror movie review podcast. We're glad to have you with us. Our goal is to provide you with spoiler-free reviews and recommendations for both recent films and horror classics. I am Jason the Terrible, broadcasting from Ottawa, Ontario, and I am joined, as always, from Vancouver, BC, by Grave Robert Jeff. Hello. And Slice and Dyson Dave. Good evening. Ooh, ominous. Well, have we got a show for you this time, listeners? We are talking about Giallo films in our mini-review segments. Yeah, why'd you pick Giallos, man? So so say, like, there's a person that doesn't care for Giallos. He's going to be like, well, this, this particular episode sucks. <laughs> well, that's okay, Slice and Dice and Dave, because if they don't like Giallos, they can just skip ahead to our classic body horror review of Videodrome 1983. Yeah, but then, then he'll, he's probably going to go like, oh, I hate Giallos. Then he's going to go like, and you know who I hate even more than Giallos? I hate Cronenberg. <laughs> so, Boy, so is this the episode for him. That guy sounds really negative, and I'm not sure we want him listening to our show. Well, pal, we, we, we must invite everybody to listen to our shows. I know, but we can't, like, we can't just not talk about everything. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, hey, someone might not like this particular movie. Let's not talk about it. I think we've talked about a wide range of movies on this show. What is this, episode 20? Is this episode 20? This is episode 20. Yeah, if you look back, the ones we've talked about, they, they've been all over the map. My plan all along actually was to have a year in review podcast when we hit our one year anniversary, which is going to be coming up in May 2022. That's like five months away, man. Have we only been pod- podcasting for seven months? <laughs> I guess. Like, let me think. How is that January, possible? February, March, April. That's five goddamn... I was right. And I just guessed. Your wow. math skills are impressive. Hey, I Scream's love- coming out, eh? I went to the movie theater the other day to watch a movie. I had to go and watch a movie with the kids, you see, because it was Christmas Eve and they were all like, hey, can you bring me to a movie? And then I was going to go and see The Matrix Part 4, but I hadn't finished watching The Matrix Part 3. So I said, hey... Well, I'll go with you then. And then and then we decided to go and see Sing 2. You ever heard of Sing? Yes. Well, there's a sequel out right about now called Sing 2, you see. And uh, it was all right. It was enjoyable. I never saw the first one, but the second one was nice. They sang. Boy, did they ever sang. Um, no, but what I was trying to get around to here it was uh, in, the, in the old, you know, how you walk to the movie, the, the auditorium that you're going to watch the movie in. Um, well, there was, a, there was a poster up, eh? And it was a poster for none other than Scream, the new Scream movie, eh? So that just reminded me, I have to watch Scream 1 through 4 before this new one comes out. Is, is that what you guys plan on doing? Well, and you got to watch the series, too. Yes, I've seen the first couple episodes of the series, and I enjoyed it. I'm kidding, um, you don't actually have to watch the series. But it's a good series. It's not bad. Well, yes, yes. No, I mean, I'm well aware that it probably has nothing to do with the movie. Unless it does, and then I'm not aware. Ooh, how confusing. But anywho, (laughs) 
<laughs> no, uh, no, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to see the new one in the cinema. So I'm going to rewatch one through four within the next month, I think, because I think it's coming out very quick, isn't it? January fourteenth, two thousand twenty-two. That's pretty quick. How exciting! All right, guys. Well, let's get right into Giallo for this week. I wanted to give a, a quick little definition here. So Giallo is a genre of film specific to Italy. Actually, giallo is yellow in Italian, and it refers to the yellow-covered paperback mystery thriller novels that were popular in Italy. It's actually a a term that non-Italians and North Americans kind of use to refer to this type of Italian movie. It's a precursor to the slasher movie that we know from the 80s or, or late 70s. Often, it's an unseen killer wearing gloves, stalking people, last minute reveal of who the who the killer is that kind of thing it's it's a pattern that's pretty well tested i actually found on wikipedia if you look up giallo there's a there's a big list of all these giallo movies and so i thought well this would be a great opportunity to bring back our quiz no so so yes everybody for those of you who loved and were amazed by our how well do you know to be trivia this episode i'm bringing you How well do you know Giallo? All right, so to recap for the listeners who may not have listened to the episode where we had our Tubi trivia, and why not? Why didn't you? Anyway, I'm going to ask you three questions. Each question has five possible answers, and your job is to figure out which of the five answers is not a real Giallo title. All right, Grave Robber Jeff, are you all excited and ready for this? I guess so. I don't know that many Giallis. So, question number one. How well do you know Giallo? Which of these movies is not a real Giallo title? Ooh, how exciting. All right. And you're each going to have a chance to guess. You don't have to buzz in. First question, is it A, death laid an egg? B, so sweet, so perverse? C, don't dance before you die? D, what have they done to your daughters? Or E, kill the fatted calf and roast it. Um, kill the fatted calf and roast it? <laughs> <laughs> I sure didn't sound very excited. <laughs> All right, so oh, that's God. your answer, is E. I should mention no, that... That one's you know, too obvious, but whatever. I think That one I, sounds stupid, so... I think I think in a lot of cases these all were originated in Italian and were translated into English. So that's oh, but then I'm you know what I'm going to change my guess to the B. So sweet, so perverse. No, C. <laughs> <laughs> Don't dance before you die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. C. That sounds too too lame. You all know right, Grave Robber Jeff, how about you? <laughs> well, I was going to say A, the egg one, but then I thought. Well, Jason wouldn't have been able to come up with that one. <laughs> so that's got to be a real one. So uh, I'm going to go D. Did Dave say D? No, he said everything but D. <laughs> Watch it be D. Oh, God. That'll be You're going to say one? D. What have they done to your daughters? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That right. sounds like something Jason would make up, actually. Especially because I just reviewed what have you done to Solange. You see what I'm saying? Anyway, what's the correct answer? Everyone wants to know. All right, so we'll we'll process of elimination here. E, Kill the Fatted Calf and Roasted is actually a Giallo movie. Yeah, I figured it was for 
God's sakes. A, Death Laid an Egg is an actual Giallo movie. Yeah, I figured it was for Pete's sake. <laughs> kind of want to watch that one. <laughs> B, So Sweet, So Perverse is a Giallo movie. Yeah, no, I knew that. I knew that for sure. So it comes down to which one of you is correct. Does either one of you want to change your answer? It's come down to Don't Dance Before You Die or What Have They Done to Your Daughters? Don't Dance Before You Die. Grave Rubber, sticking with yours? I guess so. All right. So the fake Giallo movie is, in fact, Don't Dance Before You Die. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Question number two, everybody. Yeah. Which of the following is not a real Giallo movie? Is it A, The Iguana and the Tongue of Fire? That sounds stupid, but go on. B, Naked Girl Killed in the Park. <laughs> I'm going to guess B, Very but go on. Very translation there. C, The Flower with the Petals of Steel. Steel? I don't know if I like that. Go on. D, Everywhere that Mary went, she was sure to die. Oh, that sounds like a good one. Or E, the killer reserved nine seats. Ooh. Like, was it for a, for a restaurant? Or a, I wonder what he was reserving nine seats for, you see? Hmm. Grave Robber, how about you guess first this time? I'll take the iguana one just because, you know, it doesn't seem like there's many animal gialiers. <laughs> G-L-I. That's right. So I'm going to guess A. You're going to guess A, the iguana with the tongue of fire. All right. So I'm going to say, what was B there? Naked girl killed in the park. Yeah, I'm going to pick that one. That one sounds like one that you would make up. Is that a backhanded <laughs> compliment or something? <laughs> I, I guess. All these movies that we're making up, we should we should write and produce them. Anyway, that, I, I stray. Go I know, on, well, Jay. I, I, should, I should say that we had someone comment in on our Tubi trivia asking when uh, Frank and Grizzly was going into production. <laughs> so little little shout out there to Gartbage Pod, who uh, had that question in there. And I responded to them that we have the, the, the poster in production. Um, really got to get on that. Anyway. All right. So Grave Robber Jeff, you picked the iguana with the tongue of fire. Slice and Dice and Dave, you picked Naked Girl Killed in the Park. <laughs> yeah. Nobody picked The Killer Reserved Nine Seats, but that's because it's a real Giallo movie. Yeah, I figured, because because what kind of a killer would only reserve eight seats, you see? You're, that's, <laughs> that's deep. All right. The Flower with the Petals of Steel is... A real giallo movie. See, because this is what I think. I think the killer would be a woman, and and because a woman's supposed to be like all dainty and flower-like, well, she's not dainty and flower-like, and she's got a, a, a steel knife that she goes around st stabbing everybody with. So I knew that one was real. Good for you. <laughs> Thank you. Come on, anybody? All right. <laughs> Makes sense. And everywhere that Mary went, she was sure to die. I like that one. If you made that one up, then I got to give you a round of applause. But that is a fake Giallo movie. Yeah, Jay. 
I said I'd give you a round of applause, and I'm doing it because that was a good one. So it and sounds it like it sounds like the double feature coming up at some point will be Frank and Grizzly, and everywhere that Mary went, she was sure to die. Oh yeah. Hey, what about that virus shark one? Ooh, was that a real one? No, that was a real one. Oh, lame. Okay, never mind. <laughs> I can't believe I remember that. All right. Yeah, no points to either of you on that one, I'm afraid. Oh. Uh-oh. Am I still up one nothing? You're up one nothing. Yeah, let's rock and roll. Good chance to have another tie after this one. I think the last one ended in a tie. Oh, get out of town. So. I'm currently winning the series then, or season. So far, until this question, perhaps. Uh-oh. All right, question number three. Which of these movies is not a real Giallo title? Is it A, The Killer Must Kill Again? B, Seven Knives and Seven Wives? C, Strip Nude for Your Killer? D, Atrocious Tales of Love and Death? Or E, The Bloodsucker Leads the Dance? Oh, that sounds cool. That sounds more like a vampire movie, though. Possibly. You're not going to get any hints out of me, I'm afraid. (laughs) I'm going to go with The Bloodsucker Leads the Dance, because that sounds like a vampire movie to me. All right. Grave Rubber Jeff, how about you? How many choices were there? Five. Okay, as I don't have a clue, I'm going to randomly select... Well, I can read them again. (laughs) Like, don't fall on your sword here. Like... No, oh, I you have don't? no idea, so I'm just going to randomly pick one. Oh, okay. I see what you mean. Well, that's cheap. <laughs> so which one are you randomly picking? Don't keep me in suspense. I said B, B, I say. Oh, I didn't hear you. All right. I so heard him. You, you picked B, <laughs> seven knives and seven wives. Oh, that's uh, yes. real. Jeff, that's real, pal. How, how right. many giallos are about poly- polygamy? Is that what it's called? Polygamy? That's, that's what it's all about, that. Well, G- so gialli have a lot of uh, psychosexual undertones really when you th- when you start digging into it if you couldn't you tell by some of the very titles far. <laughs> no exactly even this even just this random list of titles should give you kind of the, an idea of what these movies are about all right so the answer to the question number 3 so strip nude for your killer is a giallo movie i think i actually heard of that one somehow so have i it's on my to watch list there you go <laughs> All right, The Killer Must Kill Again is a Giallo movie. I thought maybe that was one of yours, but... Atrocious Tales of Love and Death is a Giallo movie. Oh, thank God. Yeah. So that means one of you two has actually picked the fake Giallo movie. Well, it can't be Jeff's. Do you, want, do you want to switch your answer? Anybody? No. Yeah, if Jeff gets it, I'm going to be right pissed off because he just threw out a, a, a random letter. You know what I'm saying? I'm I'm trying over here, and this guy's just <laughs> spewing out random letters. Anyway, let's see what happens. All right. Seven Knives and Seven Wives is not a real Giallo oh, movie. Jeff, you smoke. suck, pal. I hate you. That's hey, it's it. It's all strategy, I, I tell you. I'm running away, and I'm starting my own horror podcast without Grave Robin Jeff. That cheap skate. <laughs> So yes, the bloodsucker. The bloodsucker leads the dance is a real Giallo movie. Well, that's stupid. Now I gotta watch that movie, and if if he's not sucking blood, I'm gonna be <laughs> pissed right off. You know what I'm saying? He better be goddamn sucking blood. Oh, anyway, all right. I, w- I demand a recount. 
Should we go there? No. No. So after two rounds of how well do you know something or other trivia. Wasn't that three rounds? Well, three rounds today, but two rounds overall. Six, oh, six questions overall. Yeah, two rounds, yeah. six questions. You guys are tied at two correct answers each. Huh. Seven knives for seven wives. That's pretty good, really. That was a good one, Jay. Thank hey, you. we're going to have to write some giallo screen i was now. i was so sure that you guys were gonna like i almost oh i thought you were gonna see right through that everywhere that mary went she was sure to die because that it's was a very awesome. <laughs> it's a very english phrase that oh, yeah. never would have started in italian <laughs> well but, maybe it was just translated that way or something and then don't dance before you die sounds more like a james bond movie i think but was that me that chose that one you did yeah that one was stupid <laughs> But you switched it because you were originally going to pick "Kill the Fatted Calf and Roast It." No, I know, but which, I knew that which one was also too sounds obvious. like a James Bond movie. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh God! All right, guys, that was fun. Now it's time to get on to our mini reviews, which are obviously about Giallo movies. So, Grave Robber Jeff, how about you? Do you want to kick us off? Grave Robber Jeff's fresh dig. All right, so I have to say it's lucky once again that there was a category called Giallo with an exclamation mark on uh, Shudder. So easy to find. And funnily enough, one of the most well-known directors of that genre, Dario Argento, there was a category for him just by himself. And the one I picked was apparently his most celebrated Gialli. is a movie... From 1982, rated R, called Tenebre. Ooh, I've kind of always wanted to see this one. Tenebre. Tenebre. Hey, you know what? I think I started that, but I didn't finish it. So you better that, you better tell me what it's all about, pal. Yeah, that actually le- that kind of follows the structure of my review. You didn't and finish that, it. Uh, that. Uh, I was thinking of not of not finishing it, but I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. All right, so let's go into the synopsis here. Tenebrae follows a writer who arrives in Rome only to find somebody is using his novels as the inspiration for committing murder. Nice accent. That, that was, I was trying to do Sideshow Bob, but uh, <laughs> it probably didn't sound like Kelsey Grammer. Not quite. But still good. Anyways, so, yeah, as the synopsis says, an author has just finished a new book. And it's a pretty scrungy book. Like, what do you call it when it's all about, like, sex and violence and all that sort of stuff? I think you just made that word up, but sounds about right. So the author is named Peter Neal, and he's played by Anthony Franciosa. And he heads to Rome for this book tour with his trusty agent by his side, uh, Mr. Bulmer. Guess who plays that character? Wait a second. Why, why does the cast only have his last name? Just a second here. That's, just, that's all it says. So who do you think played Bulmer? Um, let's see. If it's just one name, Fabio. <laughs> right? No. Oh. Think oh. horror movies. Um, well, when was Tenebrae made? 1982. 
Robert England. No, but close. <gasps> that dude from um, Black Christmas. Who is that? The John Saxon. Officer. John yeah. Saxon, please. Yeah, Frank Wright. Take that. One nothing, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> so they head out to Rome for this book tour. And everything starts off pretty well. They're enjoying their time in, in Rome. But it turns out that somebody gets murdered. Which the poor lady who got the business had a bunch of, of papers shoved in her mouth. And the papers were from the book by Peter Neal called Tenebrae. And so, so the uh, police guys track him down because they, they find out that he's in Italy. So they knock down his door and say, hey, what's going on? And at the same time, Mr. Peter Neal starts getting these crazy letters in the, uh, under the door of his hotel room saying crazy stuff like, well, some crazy stuff from the book that he wrote. And so he reads it like, wow. That's from my book. He gets all freaked out. So it becomes very much a detective story at that point. The uh, police guys, there's a, a guy detective and a lady detective who are going around trying to solve this murder. And unfortunately, some other people get murdered as well. But the cast is probably just a big random sampling of, of people that I didn't really recognize other than John Saxon. There are a lot of uh, beautiful actresses in this movie. And most of the time, it's them who are the target of the uh, deranged killer. Did the deranged killer wear black gloves? To be consistent with Jason's uh, description there, the killer was shown from the point of view angle. He had black gloves and he had yeah. a, a, straight, a straight razor. All right. For... He's, a he's a giallo guy all in all, isn't he? He sure is. And he had a kind of a funky voice as well. Oh, you don't say. So this is where kind of like how Dave was saying that he started and didn't finish it. It it was pretty pretty slow at starting and uh, very long getting things going. It was very. There were certain shots in there that that seemed much longer than necessary. I was looking at the history of the show here, and there's a. I don't know how much to give away here, but there's a scene, where he's panning from one window, to another window. And apparently this shot took three days to <laughs> to do. And and the TV or the movie people in America or whoever were saying, well, we'd like to cut that scene out. <laughs> it's like, man, it's long. Yeah, but the director was having none of it. And so he, he demanded it stayed in there and it stayed in there. So that was one scene that was kind of funny. And then there's a, a random dog attack that... Is just so bizarre, and it's so long. While I'm watching it, all I could think was, "Wow, this is going on for a long time." <laughs> and that that happened a couple times in in the first half of this movie. So it wasn't really grabbing me and keeping my attention very well, even though the acting itself wasn't too terrible. And John Saxon was in there, and he's always good to watch. But I gotta tell you, around after the dog attack business. Which actually, the dog attack, people talk about this scene a lot. I can see how the dog should get some special praise there, because he, he did a lot of neat stuff. Even though it kind of slowed the movie down a bit, it was kind of impressive what they did with that with that scene. But after that, when, when things start hitting the fan and the body parts are piling up, 
things change and things change drastically. And at this point, it turned into a, a pretty fun movie. And I got to say the last 20 minutes or so, holy crap, was I entertained. And, and I remember thinking back at the start, I'm like, oh, crap, this might be the first movie that cracks five in a long time. I feel so bad. But then the last third shot it back up above five because it was so cool. And I, can't, I couldn't believe it was the same movie. <laughs> so it was neat in the end how everything wrapped up. In terms of blood and guts and that sort of stuff, I think that might have been part of it too, is that the, the first few sequences aren't that, they don't really pop out as, whoa, it's just kind of like maybe made for TV type murders, you know? It's more implied and it's more slick and dark and creepy than it is gory, right? Yes, I definitely agree there. That fit the style perfectly for the first two thirds of the movie. But that is thrown out of the window <laughs> in the last third of the movie. Quentin Tarantino himself. Do you guys remember Quentin Tarantino? Yeah, I remember that guy. This movie was called out by Quentin Tarantino as having his favorite on-screen death scene of all time in this movie. Ooh. And is it, and, uh, is it that good? I don't know if I'd agree with Mr. Tarantino there, but it was such a sharp contrast from what you saw the rest of the movie it's, it's something unexpected and quite it's quite a scene i guess but it's part of just a big fat scene at the end that you got to see to believe i guess is what i'm going to say and how long was the running time of this movie jeffrey the terrible so it's one hour and 41 minutes oh that's getting up there uh, isn't it it sure is and i think if they <laughs> made the dog scene a bit shorter and they cut out that Goddamn window to window shot. Uh, it would have been under an hour and a half. <laughs> I have to see that window to window shot. It took three days to shoot, apparently. I can't believe that. But I guess back then they didn't have as fancy uh, film equipment and stuff. And so if you start watching this one, it might, it might not grab you right away, but I would suggest sticking it, sticking it out till the end. So to wrap up the review... Before the last half, it would probably have been a four, but watching the whole movie, it bumps it up to a 6.6. .6. Wow. All right. Well, thank you, Grave Robber Jeff, for that review of Tenebrae, 1982. Jason, well, thanks. Uh, let's, uh, let's throw it over to you, pal. Let's uh, open your tomb of DVD dungeons or whatever the hell you call it. Oh, my God. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what it is? Come on. <laughs> yes. Here is my pick for Jason the Terrible's DVD dungeon. Jason the Terrible's DVD dungeon. It's not a tomb? It's not a tomb. Oh, that's it. Oh, that's man. I've always, had, I've always had this, like... Uh, this uh, picture of like, uh, like a crypt, but it's more of a dungeon. You're saying, eh? This is what I'm wow. saying. So I'm talking. It's taken me twenty episodes to like get a real picture of what you're talking about now. Interesting. All right. So for my pick this episode, I picked the movie from 1971, The Fifth Chord. This was written by Mario DiNardo and Mario Finelli, 
And it was based on a book by D.M. Devine, who was a writer of 13 detective crime novels. It was directed by Luigi Bizzoni, who did The Possessed in 1965, and Man, Pride, and Vengeance in 1967. I'll read the synopsis from Letterboxd this time. It's very short, and I'll explain why I'm reading a synopsis this time instead of trying to explain it. A journalist finds himself on the trail of a murderer who's been targeting people around him, while the police are considering him a suspect in their investigation. So, I usually try to explain the plot of the movies without reading the synopsis, it's just something I do. But for this movie, I just can't, and that's that's a problem, because... I mean, in general, I know I knew what was going on, but, but this movie has so many characters, and there's so many spiderwebs between all of these characters in, in terms of this person knew that person, this person was seeing this person, this person was driving in a car with that person, and this person was... I couldn't keep up, and I even when I went to Wikipedia to read the, the plot afterwards, they're, they're usually pretty good about laying it all out. And I had to read it three times. To, to try to make sense of what was going on between all these characters. And I finally was, finally figured it out. But that's that's a big warning for this movie is that it... I don't know if it was just the way it was shot. I mean, obviously, a lot of these movies, they're, they're by definition, they're filmed in Italy with Italian actors that you may not be familiar with. It was very hard for me to figure out who was who sometimes. and And the cuts were so abrupt that... Just when you think you were understanding one scene, it was bam, onto another scene. And, and these are the things that I had a, a bit of a problem with. So I just wanted to get that negative stuff out of the way. Because if you do sit down and really give it a chance, and if you're able to follow the storyline, I think it's there's a lot of good stuff about this movie to, to, to focus on. So it actually focuses around, like it opens up around a party for New Year's ironically enough. So that's kind of the time we're recording this. You, you meet everybody all at once. And then as everyone's going home, somebody gets attacked in a tunnel on the way home. They get clubbed by somebody. There's a couple that are making out nearby in the woods and they, they see this attack happen and they, they chase off the attacker. And the guy may have seen who the attacker was, but, but he's not telling anybody. Meanwhile, another guy that was at this party... He passes out at home with his lover and is woken by the telephone, basically his editor saying, hey, get on this story, we want to find out what happened. So this is our main character. He's played by Franco Nero. He plays Andrea Bild. This guy's like your rugged action detective hero, except in this movie he plays a journalist. And it wasn't clear to me right at the beginning whether he was a police officer or a journalist, but he was in fact a journalist. He's done... About 200 movies throughout the world. He's very, very much an international actor. In North America, he, he was in Die Hard 2. He was in Django and Django Unchained. He was in John Wick 2. You may have seen him here and there. He's probably the only one as a, as a North American audience that we would have a chance of understanding who is who. So he starts investigating who was the guy that attacked this guy in, in the tunnel. As he's pursuing his investigation, people start to die. And like you were saying, Grave Robber Jeff, it's not in grisly, dramatically gory ways, but there are gloves involved and there's a straight razor involved. And actually, the gloves are not black. They're more surgical, uh, which is a bit of a twist on a theme. 
And at every at every murder scene, there's there's a glove that's found with one more finger cut off. So there, because there's five fingers on a glove, everyone's expecting there to be five murders in this murder spree. And so they're trying to figure out who's doing this, what's going on, who's going to be next. And like I said, the big problem is that everybody in this movie knows everybody else somehow, and it was really hard to keep track of. But what I will say, and it's very similar to what Grave Robber Jeff was saying, was that the ending of this movie was stellar. And it's not that the first part was boring, it was just confusing. But the ending, there's a scene involving a child home alone and a home invasion that, you know me, guys, I'm not, like, home invasion movies are the ones that probably get to me the most. And this this particular one was done in such a way that it was actually very scary. So I, I did appreciate that. And it's followed up by an action sequence that was actually pretty impressive. So I did enjoy the last part of the movie. The, the, the last act is probably only about 10 to 15 minutes of the, of the total runtime. It's only an hour and a half long. So you do have to get through some convoluted plot to get there. Now, the cinematography was great. Actually, the I have the DVD and the special features were, were an interview with Franco Nero and an interview with the cinematographer, and they showed a lot of the scenes that this guy set up. I mean, obviously, they're in the movie. I saw them first the first time, too, but I didn't really appreciate them until, until they started showing them one by one. And yeah, there's a lot of really cool compositional shots in there. And as someone mentioned in... Uh, in a review on Letterboxd, I think it was, this movie has the most spiral staircases you'll probably ever see in one place. So that's that's worth a look as well. I, I like spiral staircases. I'm serious. There's like four or five of them. I'm serious that I like them. There you go. You should watch this movie. <laughs> Toot sweet. The more I thought about it, I had a couple of days to sit and think about it. My, my rating gradually rose above the original five I was going to give it. I'm, I'm actually going to give it a 6.5. And I think it would have been a lot better. I mean, had I understood the plot, had I been able to follow which characters were who, like there were some characters that I didn't realize that they were the same person. You see them in one scene and you see them in another scene and you think they're different characters, but they're actually the same person. And that's really confusing. And that happened once with a girl that was wearing a wig and looked completely different, but it was the same girl. She was just wearing a wig. So anyway, if you can't tell, I had a hard time with it. I bumped this up to 6.5. It would it would probably be an 8 if the plot was less convoluted and I could follow it. It's It's very well done. And I enjoyed it. So, the fifth chord. I have it on DVD. You can also find it on Shutter. It's it's streaming in the Giallo section. It seems like there's a pattern with these movies and their endings being awesome. Because I remember the uh, New York Ripper. That's a Giallo, right? Yes, it is. And and I I really enjoyed that ending as well. Yeah. Well, I guess Where they did... know how to do their final their final chase scenes and everything. Yeah. Hey, where where did your movies take place? Were they in Italy? Were they in other places? Uh, mine was not specifically mentioned, but it definitely looked like Italy. If I didn't know any Europe-y? better, it was Italy. Gotcha. Mine was right in the heart of Rome, and we should, or I should mention too, there is some dubbing as well as usual. Oh yeah, I think there always is. One thing I wanted to mention too is that I have no idea 
why it was called The Fifth Chord. So it made me want to go back and read that book by D.M. Devine, just to see if I could understand it a bit more, but maybe there's a reason why it's called The Fifth Chord in there. All right. Thanks, everybody. Hey, thanks, Jason the Terrible. Slice and Dice and Dave, your mini-review. What was your giallo? Oh well, thanks, fella. Let me just hold on here. I just gotta, I just gotta reach into the old scream sack of nightmares, as they call it. I chose one called "What Have You Done to Solange?" Huh? Do you know what's hilarious about this one? It's directed by Massimo Dallamano, who also directed "What Have You Done to Your Daughters." Isn't that funny? What have Two they years done later. to your daughters? Or yeah, whatever the shit you just said earlier. He did that. He did that one. <laughs> so he had you know himself a little uh, film festival theme going on then. Yeah, I guess so. And it's, it's it sounds very kind of similar. Um, let me get on to the uh, this. Oh, hold on. It's from 1972. It's uh, in Italian. It's Cosa avete fatto a Solange? Question mark. <laughs> Right? That's how they, that's how they speak in, in, in... You know what I'm saying? Okay, so starring Fabio Testi, Karen Ball. Um, I'm going to read you uh, the... Well, first off, when you watch a, a trailer like this movie, and it goes 20 times in a two-and-a-half-minute trailer, what have you done to Solange? With all these different people saying it. It really makes you wonder what the hell they've done to Solange. <laughs> so, I was so interested. I was like, what's going on? And the sad part is, like, it's, it goes over halfway through the goddamn movie, and you're like, where the hell is this ass-sucking Solange? She hasn't even been... There's been no mention of Solange this whole goddamn movie. She does eventually turn up. But I was like, for a minute there, I was like, am I watching the right goddamn movie? None of these gals are named Solange. So were you anyway. asking yourself, what have they done to Solange? Yes, I was like, what have they done to her? They're, they're hiding her from the entire film. In this Giallo classic, see, that's how I could tell this was a Giallo. <laughs> In this Giallo classic, a teacher at a girl's school becomes the main suspect in a series of sadistic sex slayings. Young Elizabeth witnessed one of the murders, but her hazy recollections of a figure in black did little to aid the investigations. <laughs> Why is the killer choosing these ladies? And what does this have to do with a former classmate named Solange? What have you done to Solange? Um, that was uh, from Shudder. Thank you very much, Shudder, for uh, doing that. So as, as watching this film, uh, you know, it starts off, there's this... Italian dude, the, the Fabio Testi guy. Let's just call him Enrico Rossini. Mr. Rossini, we'll call him. He's got a wife, Hertha Rossini. So, so you get where, where I'm trying to go here, but he's with a young gal from the school he teaches at right off the hop. Did you see something wrong going on here, fellas? Ooh, it sounds he's, like he's got a wife. an extra marital affair. Yeah, this is awful. I'm like... Are you are you kidding me? I have to sit through this kind of hogwash? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, I'm not. That's exactly what was happening. Now, as he's uh, trying to get busy with this young gal, she has kind of like this vision slash hallucination slash possibly seeing a real thing of this gal running away and screaming and then getting uh, getting offed right off the hop. 
and and he's like jesus christ man i just want to just want to you know get down on you here and and you're making up this bs about this gal getting murdered ridiculous and then she's like take me home she's like gladly i'll take you home anyway he takes her home and then we find out that he's got a a wife and stuff see i knew there was something wrong with this guy right off the hop he seemed sleazy you know and he sure was um anywho he's also a teacher here at this uh, school where uh, not just that one gal gets offed, but uh, several other gals start getting offed, and he becomes the number one target, or you know what I'm saying? What do you call it? Not a target, but uh, you suspect. Know. Suspect, even yeah, that's right. I would have suspected him too because he was kind of a sketchy-looking dude. Um, but but he grew on me. He grew on me, and I started liking him. But um, yeah, like there's some there's some good uh, detective work going on there, you know, and and you're like, well, what what the hell is going on? Why is there a killer killing all these gals? And I tell you what, I'm not going to tell you how he's killing them, but it's not very nice, all right? Like <laughs> now it's kind of sad because when they do show you kind of what <laughs> what's happened, it's awful, but it was kind of funny <laughs> at the same like. Yeah. I'm not going to get into it. But anyway, it's, it's not a very nice way to, to be offed, we'll just say. So anywho, yeah, there's a lot of it. And then <laughs> it's like I read somebody's uh, review on, uh, what do you call that thing, Letterboxed. And he's all like, yeah, there's nothing like, you know, dealing with a broken marriage than trying to find out, you know, who's killing all these gals that you're suspected and having affairs with or whatever. <laughs> Nothing brings a a marriage back together like that. But it's funny because they kind of work together and try to figure out what's going on along with the detective. There's something going on between all the gals and stuff, and they're not talking. Oh, no, they're not talking. But, yeah, there's a couple crazy uh, characters in there that they just look sleazy and and like they'd kill anybody. So uh, it could be any one of those teachers and stuff. And then, uh, yeah, then Solange shows up and you go, hey, whoa, what did they do this, to this Solange, you know? Um, there's a lot of shower scenes with lots of naked gals. Kind of goes with the theme of the movie, I suppose. And then, yeah, it gets pretty good. Like, kind of I'm on the same boat as you there, Jeff. It wasn't, like, super interesting to start. But then it kind of grabs you in and you're, you want to find out. And then kind of the ending, it was good. It doesn't seem like it's as crazy as your endings. But uh, it was a little suspenseful. The movie wasn't really scary, perchance. But it was a little suspenseful at times. Yeah, not very nice in general. I mean, I, and once again, this is a movie where the gals are all like 16. So anyway, it was... Uh, all in all, it's not a very nice movie, but it's an interesting movie. And uh, I would suggest maybe you guys watch it if you like G- if you like Giallo movies, man. Why the hell not? That's what I say. I gave it uh, a big fat 7 out of 10. Ooh. You know? What have you done to Solange? And I never knew there was a, such a name as Solange. So there you go. If it wasn't for this movie, I wouldn't have known. All right. Thank you, Slice and Dice and Dave. You've piqued my interest, actually. Actually, you both have. Down. They're good movies, right? Like, I mean, they're not like, um, oh, my God, like, you have to see them. But, like, you sit through them and you enjoy them. So why the hell not, right? Well, Jay, thanks for picking Giallos. Jalli? Jallies? They're not like hardcore horror movies per se, but they're horror-y, and I like them. So there you go. They're more like <laughs> more like murder mysteries. Yeah, but they are. But they, I mean, I guess they are horrors, right? They're kind of like the step before the slashers, like you were saying, AJ. 
Right? Yeah, well, there's, I mean, it's very formulaic that way. If you were back in the 60s and 70s watching these movies, there's not much difference between this and a horror movie. I mean, it's not Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1974. You can see how it influenced something like Black Christmas. That, oh, yeah, I was going to say. That oh, uses sorry, a lot of the point of view for the killer and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah. No, no, you're right, for sure. Well, and I was going to say, the the interesting thing about this particular movie, um, much like New York Ripper, which was a jolly, but taking place in New York, uh, this one took place in London, London, England, even though it was uh, an Italian film. So there you go. All right, everybody, let's move into our feature review. And now watch out for our feature presentation. So it's my turn to pick the feature review this time. And Dave and I on Halloween, we tend to do a, a <laughs> Halloween horror movie-a-thon, we call it, where we watch some movies, some scary movies. And one of the ones we watched this year, which I thought was very weird and interesting and would be neat to talk about, was 1983's Videodrome, directed by David Cronenberg. And starring your favorite and mine, James Woods. Is he my favorite? I'm sure he's somebody's favorite. I um I, I ran into him in New York, funnily enough, hey. I was in I can't remember, I was obviously downtown New York or whatever the hell you call that Times Square this area. And there was this uh dude walking out and he had like his uh you know, had his friggin' fancy jacket on and had a couple babes hanging off him and stuff. I was like, ooh, this guy's big time. And he turned around, I'll be goddamned if it wasn't James Woods. I think I said hello, too. And did he answer you? No, I think he probably told me to go f*** myself. But um, <laughs> um, but it, but that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. No, um, he didn't say that. I'm, I'm, I think he might have waved and said hi or something nice. <laughs> Which animated show did he make appearances on? Was it Simpsons or Family Guy or what? Simpsons and sure Family Guy, I think. Pretty sure it was Family Guy. Oh yeah, and then he was—he was. Didn't he work at a Pooh's place? What do you call that? The Quickie Mart. Oh, yeah. that's right. He was filming yeah. a movie in The Simpsons, I think. Yeah, there you right, go. Right, right. James Woods. All right, Great River <laughs> Jeff. I agree. This Back is to a video drone. I agree. Video drone is a very weird movie. How about a synopsis? Let's crack right into it. As the president of a trashy TV channel, Max Wren is desperate for new programming to attract viewers. When he happens upon Videodrome, a TV show dedicated to gratuitous torture and punishment, Max sees a potential hit. However, after his girlfriend auditions for the show and never returns, Max investigates the truth behind Videodrome and discovers that the graphic violence may not be as fake as he thought. Yeah! So Videodrome takes place in uh, Toronto, as they call it here in Canada, Toronto. And uh, it follows James Woods, who's the runner of a local Canadian cable broadcasting channel. But, oh, but his channel, it broadcasts some stuff that, that isn't very nice, eh? It's like kind of like some softcore pornography and some violence and death and stuff. And he's always trying to find the next best thing, you see. But he's got this dude working for him that pirates some stuff that he gets from all over the world. And he he stumbles across this stuff. Uh, from where did he think it was from uh sri lanka or where malaysia i think he said malaysia that's right this stuff looked kind of like the sexual stuff and they end up they end up like killing them eh but it looked pretty real almost too real 
But this James Woods guy goes, hey, we need this for our channel because we need the, the craziest stuff we can find. And then and then it all goes crazy from there. And then, Yeah, and then he finds himself on a talk show where, where he meets a uh, lady who's the host of a relationship advice radio show, I think. Nikki Brand, played by Debbie Harry, who, if you don't know, is the singer from the Blondie Band. Really? I didn't know that. IMDb. And she has an affinity for the uh, sadomasochistic stuff. And so when she gets together with Max Ren there, it fuels her desire for that sort of stuff when she also watches the video drum. Which you you never see too much. We as the audience don't see too much of what Videodrome is, but it does have a a pretty big effect on anybody who watches it within this movie. I have a feeling if it was redone today, that it would be much more explicit. Oh yeah, probably. Well, I mean, it turns out like wasn't Cronenberg doing this as kind of like a, you know, the critics saying, "Hey, so much violence it screws up everybody's mind" type thing, eh? I think that was kind of what this this film was all about, wasn't it? Well, it's definitely about what the effect it has on society. Mm-hmm. The thing about Cronenberg, he's kind of been able to predict certain things with his movies, and, and that's what they're saying about this one, or that's what they said about this one. He was able to predict the effect of satellite TV because at the time that Videodrome was, was created, you know, yeah, there might have been some television stations showing some naughty or raunchy movies after hours but satellite tv comes along and all of a sudden you've got access to much much more graphic stuff than that but i i would take it one step further and this might be part of a discussion later but like just look at the internet today and god awful (laughs) all right well well let's let's go back to the story a little bit so so max has found this pirated signal and he's he's made some copies of it and he's watching it and his and his girlfriend, who's into some crazy stuff, is watching it too, and she wants well, to. Well, hold on, they're not really girlfriend boyfriend. They just happen to, they they meet on that talk show, right there, Jeff. You were saying, and then and then she's like, hey, maybe uh, maybe I can uh, hang out with you there, and then and then he's there's some marks on her neck, and she's like, yeah, yeah give me a cut there or whatnot. He's like, what? You let people cut you? And she's like, yeah. And then and then. Uh, then there's some graphic stuff with needles and ears and yeah, all there's sorts. Yeah, there's an ear-piercing scene. Some burning some cigarettes places and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just awful. Just awful stuff. <laughs> well, it wasn't awful, but like... Your I'm indignation like, on, is well noted there, Slice and Dice and Dave. Yeah, so anyway, so basically where this comes to, what I'm trying to say is this chick, she was all like into like pain and stuff. Well, she's like, hey, man, this video drone looks pretty awesome. I'm going to go and do it then that's where the movie goes sideways, as they say. What's interesting about this movie is that you get to see the effect that Videodrome has on Max, kind of from his perspective, because... And and Cronenberg talked about this. He he was interviewed for Fangoria magazine in February 1983. It was issue number 25. Cronenberg wanted to tell this story from the the first person perspective of of max so what happens is max starts to have some pretty dramatic hallucinations and because the movie's from his perspective that's what we see as reality we 
as the viewer are experiencing what Max is experiencing. And that's where the movie has the opportunity to go into some pretty crazy and twisted places. I know I was complaining when I when I reviewed the movie Dead Ringers by Cronenberg a few episodes ago about how that wasn't really a body horror movie. Well, this is what I expect out of David Cronenberg is is the body horror that we get in Videodrome. I expect The Fly. Remember that one? That was awesome. Well, yeah, that's the shining example. <laughs> and probably, probably in terms of Cronenberg's films... I mean, The Fly, I think, is one of the few of his films that is actually more critically acclaimed than than Videodrome. Videodrome is, in hindsight, considered to be one of his classics. Well, and and nowadays, because apparently when it first came out in theaters, it didn't do as good as, like, say, Scanners, you see. Yeah. And it's funny, because apparently they offered him to do the sequel to Scanners. And he's like, no way, pals. I'm doing this one called Videodrome. He did do Scanners just before this, and and as a result, Videodrome was the first movie that had major studio backing. It had a $5 million budget. He went on to do Dead Zone the same year, and he ended up doing The Fly a couple of years later. What was interesting in the Fangoria article that I read, he, he was supposed to do a, a remake of Frankenstein around the same time, or a couple of years earlier, somewhere in between Scanners and Videodrome. And... He ended up saying that, well, there's a lot of people who want to do remakes and sequels and, quote, part of the vitality of movies has always been to come up with something new, something astonishing, something that captures the popular imagination and emotions. I find it kind of funny that he said no to Frankenstein on those grounds, but then he ended up doing The Fly, which was a remake and probably one of his best movies. So, Love that goddamn movie. King of venereal horror, the Baron of blood, the Canadian Prince of body horror. He does what he's known to do very well. And uh, he puts it this way, all my films have to do with physical existence and what happens when that breaks down in some radical way. And, and Videodrome is, is very much like that. Uh, there's some really weird effects in here. And it's, it's done by a guy named Rick Baker, who is also very famous in the practical effects world, especially back in that time. He, he did the incredible transformation in the American Werewolf in London movie one of the best on-screen werewolf transformations that you'll find. He was a special effects assistant on The Exorcist. Uh, he worked on The Incredible Melting Man. He was a makeup artist on the second unit of Star Wars. He was a consultant on The Howling because of his work on American Werewolf in London. He worked on the Thriller music video with Michael Jackson. Gremlins 2, The New Batch. That's a, that's a classic. Yeah, very famous makeup guy. And it's not surprising that the the effects in this movie are are pretty striking and and hundred percent practical as well. Um, there was a cool scene where uh, somebody's body kind of explodes. I thought that was awesome. That was certainly the the most gory part for sure. Yeah, but and then and God, man, it was all practical. It looked so good. Doesn't practical stuff like that look so good? Yeah, there are a couple of cool things that they did with TVs. Overall, the effects oh, yeah. were cool. And the Betamaxes that started pulsing and everything. There's just things doing stuff they're not supposed to do. Well, I just got to bring up that these hallucinations that he's having is one of the sources of confusion for the viewer, for sure, in terms of what's actually real and what's not. It was confusing at times in that respect. 
It sure was, Jeff. It was confusing and a little complicated. And I saw, I've seen it twice now because I watched it with you on Halloween there. And I'm still like, well, well it's kind of, I guess, more of like, what's the actual point of the movie? And that's up for discussion, right? Like, if you watch it without thinking, then I guess it's one thing. But if you actually want to dive in and discuss it, then it's then it's a whole other ball game, isn't it? I saw a review that said, "Oh, this this movie is impossible to figure out what Cronenberg's trying to say." I, I think it's pretty clear. Whoa! That, well, please explain to us, there, Jason the Terrible. Well, I think it's pretty clear that what he's talking about, what he's trying to show, is reality is defined by what we see. And okay, so maybe it's not that that straightforward, but but think about it this way. In the time that this was made back in the early 80s, you know, there were real concerns about nuclear war or there were, you know, if you're walking down the street and you're worried about being mugged or attacked, how much of your actual reality and experiences support that fear? Obviously, people who've been attacked before are going to be scared of being attacked. But if you've never been attacked before, where is that fear coming from? It's coming from the media. It's coming from television, movies, and, you know, hearing about it happen to other people. So your reality is being shaped by what you're watching. And so what David Cronenberg is saying with Videodrome is that if you can control what people watch, then you can control people. And so Videodrome, there's a there's a quote in the movie, I can't remember exactly what it is, but they're talking about the next battlefield is on the televisions for people's minds, to paraphrase quite liberally. What people see on television is more reality than reality. That's the theme of Videodrome, as far as I'm concerned. And I can agree with that to a degree. Like, I guess we can say that someone's behind the videodrome signal and it's their their goal is to control people yep uh, but what i can i still have trouble with this movie is that then that's all well and good but what you're seeing on the screen and what's happening in this movie if it's actually happening it's not real but it has to be a halluc it has to be real otherwise it doesn't make any sense yeah, like let's just discuss the 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 rabbit in the room, or I guess an elephant, because that's bigger than a rabbit, and that's the actual saying. Um, the big uh, vagina in his belly that they keep feeding VHS tapes into. Well, it's it's oh, actually, actually not... they were Betamax. Exactly. Were they Betamax? Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, and so and there's a there's a funny note about that. They were Betamax because the slit in his chest was not big enough for a VHS tape, so they had to be Betamax. I always thought Betamax were bigger. Did you guys find it odd that uh, cathode ray mission? that they were setting up like this is a place in the movie where homeless people could come not just for food but for the chance to watch tv like they had little cubicles set up with a tv in each one and homeless people could come in and watch the tv to get brainwashed well yeah they wanted to get everybody right they were saying that, you know, people need to be plugged into the fabric of society and this is how they do it. And I'm thinking, that is such a weird idea. Then I thought, wait a minute, there's internet cafes right now. It's essentially the same thing. Well, I guess not specifically for homeless though, right? No, but a room like that full of cubicles with a TV in each one was was a strange visual, but 
it's along the same theme. It's the progression of technology in society and and just the fact that, you know, Cronenberg saw something like this happening. He actually studied under a guy named Marshall McLuhan, who taught at the University of Toronto. And this guy was well known in academic circles. He coined the expression, the medium is the message, and the term global village, and he predicted the World Wide Web almost 30 years before it was invented. He was actually the inspiration for the character for the character of Oblivion, who we only see on on a television in this movie. David Cronenberg was inspired a lot by this guy, and this movie is the result of that. Well, I tell you what, let's talk about the actors. Did we talk about how good they were? <laughs> Some say that this is James Woods' best performance as an actor. What do you guys think? I couldn't remember any other movies I've seen him in. <laughs> But I do have to say that Deborah Harry, was, I thought, was awesome. Oh, fantastic. And, and I thought she should have had more screen time, but she was great. It's a pretty courageous role, too, because she's she leaves it all out there. She I don't know if she really got her ears pierced in that scene, but it looks pretty, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty, good. pretty real. She's a good-looking good gal, like sultry. Is that what they call a gal like that? Sultry? Someone that you wouldn't expect to be necessarily into the type of video that's coming through on Videodrome. Yeah, so what the hell? Well, who knows what she's into. But what the hell else has she been in then? Oh, she was in she was in Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. That's the one note I have for her. Yep. I'll get out of She's also in Body Bags, the uh, movie I reviewed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just logged that onto my uh, list of Blu-rays today. Just to go back to James Woods for a second. So do you guys remember seeing him in any other movie? <laughs> Yeah, well, obviously, dude. Well, the ones like I've what? got written down here from his IMDb that I recognize were Scary vampires. Movie two. Yeah, and vampires. vampires. Scary Movie 2, The General's Daughter, Any Given Sunday. Not a lot of horror. I mean, vampires, obviously. But I think a very versatile actor. He's got a very recognizable face. I don't know, but I, I might recognize him most from from those Simpsons episodes. <laughs> That's hilarious. But everybody knows him. Movie. Oh, you haven't seen what's it called? Vampires? What's it? What's is that his? The West Craven's vampire. No, John Carpenter vampires story. That's who uh, it was. Yes, yes. Yeah. What else was he? He was in The Specialist. He was in Casino. He's in a lot of goddamn movies. For God's sake, straight talk. Everyone just knows who James Wood is. Woods is right. Oh, Cat's Eye. He's oh, the main right. guy in Cat's Eye. So there you go. I just gonna say. I guess for the other characters, like we can just say. The actor was pretty good for all of them, but there weren't that many more important characters than the two of them. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Oh, the one guy, the piratey guy. The guy who was pirating the signal. Yeah. Yeah, Peter Dvorsky as Harlan. I thought he was kind of a main character, right? Yeah. And he was pretty. I mean, he was fine. The guy that played Brian Oblivion, what was his name? Jack Creeley. So there's a. Names are kind of neat, like, because Oblivion was a neat name and. And Barry Convex, the guy who was kind of in charge of the signal, who was working out of the optical. Uh, well, they were selling sunglasses. So having a name like Barry Convex, I thought that was funny. Yeah, actually, the guy that plays Barry Convex is Leslie Carlson. He, I know him from a, an episode, a couple of episodes of The X-Files, actually. All right, well, then let's head into our scary rating. Grave Rubber Jeff, you want to start us off? Yeah, it was definitely more of a weird movie than a, a scary movie. Yeah, I wouldn't go too high on the scary meeting, meeting, reading, 
meter. <laughs> I'd, I'd give it a three it. and a half, maybe just for some bits and pieces, maybe that. I don't know if there are any jump scares in there. I don't think there was for the most part. No, no. It was more of a mind F. I'm surprised we didn't say mind F earlier. But that's what this movie is, a mind F. Makes you think, I guess, a little bit here and there. I would give it a uh, two and a half out of ten for scary. Two out of ten. A couple chase scenes, and things are gross, but that's going to come up in the disturbo meter and the gore meter. Pretty low on the scary. I'll go with the two with you as well, Slicing. Yeah. Well, let's get right to that gore ranking. There, Jason the Terrible, you start us off. Well, this is body horror at its David Cronenbergiest. Well, that one scene with the guy near the end was pretty, pretty gory, and it's all practical it was awesome. effects. Yeah, super awesome. It's not as relentless as a saw or a hostel, but it's it's pretty gross. So I'm going to come in with an eight. Get out of town. I'd go nowhere close to that. I'd say like a six, maybe, maybe a five and a half for gory. All right. There, all right. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, like. Like the body stuff, it's just the weird mutations of what's-his-face's body is kind of gross and weird, but not really gory. And then just the uh, the one guy that kind of explodes, which was awesome. That was kind of gory, but still, I'd like I'd say like a five and a half, maybe a five out of ten for gore. It wasn't like a super gory movie at all, really. Well, I'm talking about the instances of it, but Grave Robber, what do you think? That's always the tricky part is discerning the instances versus an overall movie. But uh, yes, like you guys have said, the exploding body was was something I would watch again and go, ugh. (laughs) (laughs) And like like you were saying, like the stuff that happens to James Woods, like it's definitely not pleasant and it was kind of gross. I think there was nothing else but like gunshots and stuff. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? Not really gory. And then like the... The, the sexual stuff where they were killing them and stuff, there wasn't really, it wasn't very yeah. explicit at all. No, there wasn't anything shown there. But let me, let me yeah. tell you the way I approach this rating. I think we're too influenced by, by the, the Saw and Hostile movies where the whole point of that movie is to show as much gore as possible. If you take Saw and Hostile away from the equation, then most movies are just going to have instances of gore yeah but there's one instance of gore in this whole movie well i'm i'm interpreting the the body horror as gore as well even though it's not like well I, i'm not i'm not but anyway that's not gore. it's it's anyway, hard more. to get more gory than what happens to that guy at the end i All agree I'm saying and disagree is, with different aspects of what both you guys said <laughs> yes <laughs> exactly but but that instance is pretty damn gory and that instance no, is an like, eight to me but it doesn't if you're going to say, hey, this this is an 8 out of 10 for gore, people are going to watch this thinking, oh my god, this is going to be a super gory movie. And it's not, in my opinion. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting conversation because if you base it on quantity or just what's there, right? Everything so, is subjective and everything is relative. Anyways, so for my rating, I'm kind of in the middle because I'm kind of uh see both sides of the situation but i kind of did feel like the body horror was was gross you're like every time <laughs> he brought the gun out and he had his huge hand i kind of laughed, <laughs> laughed at that part but then like the 
like the body or the new orifice or whatever. I thought it was kind of gross. Anyway, so I'll come in at around the six for gore. All right. Thank you, Grave Robber Jeff. I feel like we've kind of talked about Disturbometer already, but should we talk uh, about Disturbometer? We haven't discussed Disturbometer at all because this is where I jump in and say it's a goddamn pretty disturbing movie. It's very high um, with all the like the gal with her like in the the violence with her sex and stuff and then all the like disturbing videos of videodrome in itself and then the bodies exploding and things and that so it's a very, i think it's a pretty disturbing movie to be fair with you i'd yeah. say it's a high, highly disturbing movie <laughs> well i agree with you completely on that slice and dice and dave see well, it's not as much. fun when we don't disagree and then there's me who wasn't as disturbed, but it was just because I was more confused than disturbed. Because, yeah, like the channel content and, um, but overall it was, yeah, I was trying to figure stuff out and it was too confusing to be too disturbing. But I It's funny. And, and I'll tell you what was really disturbing for me. It was literally, now that I know it was Blondie, <laughs> it was just all the stuff with her and like the, like the cigarette and the needles and cutting and all this and that that stuff was for some reason that touched me in a disturbing place as a as opposed to anything else in the movie but it it made it a highly disturbing feeling and then the rest of it added on to it obviously but uh, what the hell oh hoots and such it's quite uh sexual um not like super graphic or nothing but like i mean the whole point is Obviously, the Videodrome itself had some um, violent sex, not very graphic. Uh, and then the Blondie stuff, a little more graphic. And then what else? Was there much else? I can't really remember, to be fair. Well, is that, there's that original Japanese salesman at the beginning. What's oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, okay, so it was a video of so some, some, some soft stuff, as they call it. Any uh, wieners getting cut off or exploding? <laughs> That's what we want to hear. Surprisingly, no. Oh. All right. So, what are we left with? Is that our final ratings? Jeez, I think I think that's the case there, Jason the Terrible. Uh, this is Slice and Dice and Dave giving it a seven out of ten. Um, after I watched it the first time, I gave it a six out of ten. I watched it a second time and kind of liked it a little more the second time around. I gave it a seven out of ten. It's funny, we might as well just replay your couple sentences there, because I said exactly the same thing. <laughs> oh, you don't say. The first time I saw it, it was around a six, but I liked it the second time better than I upped it to a seven. We both yeah. liked it the second time around a bit more, right? Yeah, Is it because we started yeah. thinking about it more? Maybe. It could also be that we watched it really late last time. Yeah, it's just meant to be a really weird movie. I responded to the theme of it pretty well. I didn't have a hard time understanding what he was trying to say, really. The big problem with all of these is when you go back to them and watch them for the first time, knowing that they're classics, especially from a from a director who's been very successful and, and very revered, the expectations get really high. My original letterbox rating was a 7. But I'm gonna <gasps> I'm gonna bump it up to seven and a half. Actually, oh I, man, he's just he's just got to be a little higher than us, doesn't he? <laughs> no, well, I I feel like I feel like it's warranted that 
someone has to say, okay, this is good. You should go watch it. And Mm -hmm. so anybody out there who hasn't seen Videodrome yet, you know, whether you're familiar with David Cronenberg in general or not, this is a weird experience and you should see it. There you go. Keep in mind, you might want to see it twice. Yeah, that's a good because that's the first point, time man. it might not it might not work. <laughs> and hey, Jeff, you remember like back in the day when we used to do this podcast? You used to always be very critical of endings and stuff. What did you think oh, of this ending? Time. Yeah, what did you think of this ending? Well, yeah, it all fit together pretty well. I thought because I thought it was a pretty sick ending. No, what did you think, Jeff? It all it was good. Yeah. There's a oh, that's another gore scene. Ah, there you go. There's a lot of weird effects on the television set itself. Yeah, which was cool. And you probably didn't count the gore scene involving the television near the end. I where, can't remember. Where a whole bunch of stuff starts piling out through the through the screen. Oh yeah, something like that. The way they made things, the effects in here, again, Rick Baker, it was amazing. Like the the, the screen bubbling out at you yet still having the the picture on it like that's a practical effect they were they were actually rear projecting onto uh onto a stretchy material for that but it looked like a tv just being morphed it's it's so weird and it's it's very impressive and it's not cgi so it's uh, i liked it so yeah seven and a half yeah maybe next time you talk to me i'll be saying it's an eight well there you go i guess we got to watch it a third time now eh or at least I'll watch it twice so I can watch it as many times as you did. Oh, yeah. You've only seen it the once. That's wow, pal. correct. Yes. Wow. It is kind of good watching it the second time around, I thought. But anyway, considering I hadn't seen very many David Cronenberg films up until this year, that's a, a couple under the belt right away there. So uh, thanks for picking it there, Jeffrey the Grave Robin Cat. Jeffrey the Grave Robin Cat. Yeah. Also known as Great Brother Jeff. <laughs> That's what I was calling him. <laughs> I had a lot of fun on this episode. I like talking Giallo, and I think I want to go watch some more Giallo movies. I, that, dude, the whole time I've been sitting here looking at Shameless and Arrow videos and seeing which ones I can watch on my streaming services here in Canada, and uh, that's probably what I'm going to spend the next like couple hours doing. So, there you uh, go. Giallo films. All right. Thanks, listeners, for sticking with us for another episode. We really appreciate it. If you really want to help us out, you can give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might listen to your podcasts. You can find us at watchouthorror at gmail.com, on Twitter at watchouthorror, on Instagram at watchouthorrorcast. Or if you want to just go straight to our link tree, you can go to linktr.ee slash watchouthorror. Slice and Dice and Dave can also be found on Twitter at Slice and Dice and Dave. All right, everybody, until next time, and there will be a next time, be safe, treat each other well, and go watch some horror movies. Thank you for listening to Watch Out. The opinions you've just heard have been made by three guys from Canada. Please keep this in mind and enjoy responsibly. Hey, we should be playing that uh, song by Coldplay as we're doing this. You know, yellow. that yellow song? 
It was all jelly. I made a song. You know what I'm saying? Okay. <laughs> I I could definitely hear where you're coming from there, and that's how the first. Why is my thing always freezing? Oh, there it goes. Ah, goddamn it! Just a second. Oh crap! Now it's playing a Batman trailer. <laughs> just a second here. Denebrae. God damn it. Okay, it's back. And uh, it's starring Fabio Testi. Uh, he's pretty popular. <laughs> I'm sorry. I said, I, I said that, pardon? That was immature of me. Jason, that's fucking disgusting, man. Say that again. Testy. Jason, that's fucking no, no. disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. Starring uh, Fabio <laughs> Testi. And Karen say, say Ball. It, say it again. <laughs> Karen Ball? What? That's, that's, that's their names. This is great. You know what? Maybe I just won't talk about the cast. <laughs> and wasn't there a guy named Dick Moss, too? <laughs> you know, that was the director. <laughs> the director of Amsterdam. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> we didn't have a blooper reel last time, so this one's making up for it. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. So what happened to Salange, or like I said in Italian, starring Fabio Testi, Karen Ball, Joaquin Vagina. <laughs> oh, oops. That was a little too uh, tongue-in-cheek. Okay. <clears throat> Um, so anyway, to all those other nice ways to be offed. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, like I hear that if you drown or something, it's kind of a nice way of being offed. I guess it's I all guess relative. It, yeah. You know what I'm saying? But I mean, if I were to be offed, I'd like, you know, I'd want my nuts bit off by a tiger or something, you know, like that's how I want to go out. <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> What's guarantee that, that you'd uh, die though. <laughs> that's a good point. What's that movie from? I can't remember. Wasn't that Naked Gun or something? 